Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Coach Twain Teo. Twain and I had a really good conversation that covered a number of topics, but ultimately revolved around the idea that there's no quick fixes and really getting into the mindsets behind a lot of the choices we make in our lives, the changes we make, and our relationship with food. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Twain, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me, Brian. You're welcome. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, we were introduced through someone else that I've gotten on the podcast and from the conversation with you about what you do, kind of what you're focused on. I really think it's going to be a really helpful and valuable conversation for people to hear. So um, I'm excited about this. First and foremost, though, who are you? Oh, my name is Twain and I'm a, um, I guess you could say I'm a fitness coach. I've been doing this for quite a while, the past 11 years and counting. And um, primarily, I help a lot of uh, men and women who struggle with their food relationships uh, kind of get off that yo-yo dieting wagon and uh, integrate fitness and health and nutrition to their lifestyle uh, in a way that, you know, they, they happily do so and not in a way that um, they feel compelled that they need to do it. And uh, I think that's essentially... In a nutshell, what I do. Awesome. And I think you, you know, I kind of just want to hit a big point that you stated there is want to versus being compelled to. I think so many times it's just we feel with anything in life, whether it's food or something else, it's like when you feel forced to do it, it's like the worst thing to do. You are so unmotivated to do it. And it just, it's, it's a different mindset when you feel like you have to do something. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, it's not uncommon at all for a lot of people to think that, um, you know, these things are crucial for them to do, which they are. I mean, from a health and physiological perspective, it is. Um, but more so, I think from a mental perspective, we have to embrace the things that uh, we need to do that are essential to our survival. But we also need to find a way to do them that allows us to enjoy them the most, you know. Um, and it really goes into that whole concept of kind of choosing your suffering, right? Where you have to figure out what is it that A, is important, like essential to your life, and then B, what is the necessary suffering that you need to go through uh, in order to have the most fulfilled life. And I think a lot of us, because we chase that happiness and we chase that surface level enjoyment and gratification, uh, we, we can get trapped in that whole, you know, hedonistic cycle. Yeah. Doesn't help that, you know, fitness, you know, you know nowadays, uh, it doesn't help that fitness marketing and all it's, it's all, it's all marketing, you know, it's all about all the promises and all the quick fixes and not enough of the fundamental stuff. Not at all. It, it's funny. I was laughing the other day, a colleague of mine, like he just kind of sets these different goals and it's like, however long it takes him, it takes him. And so his goal right now is what he basically is calling balls to floor. He's just trying to get for like full splits. And he's been working on this for months, like in a very smart way. And I saw this app the other day 
I was not like looking for any app like this, but I found like just popped up as like what you might want. And it was like 30 day to 30 days to a full split. I was just like, is this really possible? <laughs> like for the majority of the public? I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Google's listening in because because um I, I was talking to another friend the other day too, and we just casually mentioned gymnastics and I, I think and similar app came up on my on my Instagram, you know. So it, it's the algo, it's the algorithm, they're just listening in. <laughs> but yeah, right, like I mean, things that gymnasts and, you know, people that have been at it for a long time, they, they, they took years to master or months to master, you know, um, even with some advantages. And then now we're being sold the idea that, hey, you know, you're just one, one weight loss cycle away or you're just one 30-day cycle away. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. And it's also, um, I mean, it's a, it's a willing market, right? Like willing buyer, willing seller. And people just want to believe and people just want to, you know, hang on to that hope. But a lot of times, isn't it just, you know, a facet of uh, our own humanity, which is we just we, we just want that thing right there and then because we're trying to escape something else. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to put it is we are, whatever it is, we're typically attempting to escape something, whether it, you know, in a good, sometimes it's in a good way. Um, but a lot of times they think it is in a bad way and, and we do look for those quick fixes for that because we just want something fixed right now when we're dealing with different struggles. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure you experienced that. So with a lot of clients that come to you, um, primarily because, you know, you're, you're also a PT, right? Like I was looking through your stuff and 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 all and it's so common that a lot of times people say hey i want to lose whatever the amount is like 20 kilos and you lose 20 kilos i need to get my six pack and i need to fit into this dress whatever it is um but when you think about it what all these goals are fairly arbitrary right like why do i want to lose the weight or why do i want to get a six pack nobody really wants a six pack because of a six pack People like want a six pack because of what they think comes along with the six pack. And for the most part, you know, it's stuff like validation from other people, admiration, things that I think we have not been taught as um, maybe we are not, we have not been taught as kids growing up to, to learn to validate ourselves. And it does come down to, to that quite a bit because a large portion of my clients tend to be uh, Asian. And I don't think it's an only an Asian thing, but um, it does seem to be fairly common among the, the, the Asian households where, you know, kids are kind of brought up to uh, validate their parents or to ultimately provide some sort of support for the parents. So you kind of have this whole um, conditioning uh, environment where they are just taught to uh, look and seek for validation from other people and get it you know, and, and be validated externally rather than to learn how to grow and validate themselves. And, I, and it's definitely not just an Asian culture thing by any means, because that's yeah. happening, you know, worldwide that we're all like, like you said, people want the six pack or people want the, um, you know, you name it, they want it just for that external necessarily always for that external validation, but a lot of times that is 
has a lot to do with it is people have that external motivation versus the internal motivation for things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But even sometimes when the internal motivation is, oh, pardon me, there's a plane flying over. <laughs> All good. <laughs> yeah, when, uh, even sometimes when, they, when there's the internal motivation, so, um, understanding where the internal motivation comes from and whether it is uh, something that I think is sustainable uh, it's also another factor to consider. Um, and oftentimes the internal motivation, when it is, let's say it's driven by something like um, anger or it's maybe even low self-esteem, um, it's something that actually needs to be actively worked on. And <laughs> it's so funny when all these planes flying over. Um, I stay somewhere near the airbase, so I do get this in the morning and the evening. All good. <laughs> Uh, when we're talking about internal motivation or so, a lot of times, especially when it comes down to stuff like, let's say, lower self-esteem or, or actually low self-esteem and low confidence is probably the biggest one um, that I deal with. And a lot of times these things are not, they are not something that you can fix and be done with it. And I think a lot of people are just looking for that fix. In fact, for a lot of problems, um, a, a lot of these are not just things that usually are, there's a one solution to it and then you use that and you're done with it. Um, most of the time you stuff like health and fitness, it's always an ongoing process. And I think a lot of people think there's some sort of finality to it, but there really isn't. It's an ongoing thing. And so a lot of times when I teach my clients, um, first up, I always tell them, okay, in this phase where you're going to work with me in this phase, we're going to actually focus on addressing the root issue and trying to solve that. While, you know, also trying to set certain um, physical goals, physical targets, and then getting them to those goals and targets while addressing these issues. Sometimes we need to actually separate these two things uh, completely because a lot of times when you're trying to lose weight and all that, and you focus directly on it, um, it can exacerbate a lot of these fundamental issues. So once we solve that, okay, we solve for this part of the equation, we then need to figure out, okay, now, how do we do the maintenance part? And a lot of times people don't talk about stuff like the diet after the diet, right? Which is the lifetime diet. Um, I put that in air quotes. I'm not sure if people see this visually, but I put that in air quotes. Um, and it really is managing your weight after that, not falling back into these old habits. So a lot of times people go almost like, we are so used to going to the edge and just jumping off because, you know, because we are stuck in that cycle. And I think our job as a coach, we come back here and we, we lead them to the edge <clears throat> and then we provide them an environment to say, hey, no, I'm not going to jump off. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk back off the edge. And a lot of times we need to equip them with the skill and the mental fortitude to then be able to keep testing that edge. And eventually it then becomes, you know, a non-event. Non, uh, uh, it becomes something that's not as big and as uh, intimidating in their life. Yeah, it's one of the biggest things I think when it comes to nutrition and fitness in general is like, it has, whatever you do has to be sustainable. Like that's why a lot of these fad diets don't work because you can sustain them for a temporary time, but then you get sick of it and have to do something else. Um, or some of these like different fitness challenges that people jump into in order to like, then get on like a fitness kick or, you know, find something new to do. But a lot of times it's just not sustainable for their lifestyle or for what their enjoyment is. And I 
feel like this is why a lot of times we get these people like that get to that edge and just like, I don't know what to do and panic. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of these things are kind of, kind of, it goes back down to, to the fundamentals. So one of the, one of the key things I tell, I tell all clients is that, you know, we're going to like fundament, fundamentally transform you. And what does that exactly mean? It's, it's really going back to the fundamentals, understanding what exactly works because the fundamentals are really simple, right? Like we all know uh, to lose weight, it's really purely an energy equation. It's a calorie balanced thing. You know, you, but you just have your input side of the equation, you have your output side of the equation and understanding what variables affect these things allows you to manipulate it. And the thing is, once we understand the fundamentals, it's so easy to then look at our life and say, okay, what can I accept? What do I enjoy? And what do I not enjoy? You know, and then it's easier for you to then when, when you're thrown into a diet or when somebody comes up to you and tries to sell you a diet, you can much better filter the diet through this lens and then you know, see for yourself like what exactly is making this diet work. Because a lot of times, all these diets are so arbitrary. And the problem with arbitrary rules is that for people that do not understand, like if you don't, if you don't fundamentally understand the subject or the topic and you don't learn it from the ground up, you're learning from top down, uh, the problem is you have no, no real thoughts of your own because you don't understand the fundamental structures. And because you don't understand that, when somebody gives you all these arbitrary rules, that is your basis. Now that becomes your fundamentals. And when it becomes your fundamentals, now your entire uh, worldview is built on something that is very flimsy. So I always, use, I always use keto as an example because it's one of the most popular ones. Now, keto in and of itself, right, we know it's a, a medical diet. In the 1940s, it was created to help kids with epilepsy. Um, then somewhere along the 1960s or 1980s, they developed epileptic medicine. Um, and then that diet kind of fell off, off the radar. Um, does it have its medical applications? Yes. Um, apparently, for, for those suffering from cancer, it's also pretty good. Um, but for most people, they take on the keto diet not because of any real medical dysfunction, but because they want to lose weight, right? And for some people, it does work. You know, it does work. And it's something they can stick to in their lifestyle. They've chosen their lifestyle. But the problem is the fundamental rules of keto are fairly arbitrary. It just says, look, carbs are the issue. Insulin is the issue. And uh, don't eat carbs. So the, the way to make this diet work, the rule is don't eat carbs. And now the problem comes in when you hit a plateau. Okay, so if after I hit a plateau, what next? Do I take out more carbs? I don't have any, any more carbs to take out. Like, what do I take out next? You know, that, do I drop protein? Because protein can spike my insulin too, right? So if you think about that, it's kind of like chasing those symptoms. And a lot of these diets are built around symptoms because symptoms are sexy and symptoms are scary and symptoms are easy to market. Um, if you were to tell anybody, hey, you know, it's calories in, calories out, you know, from the calorie deficit, it's not that sexy. You know, it's not easy to market for sure. So... It is, it is, you know, sometimes it feels like a losing battle because you see like, you know, um, so many fitness influencers and stuff with, with like thousands and thousands of followings. And sometimes you see them post up something about like, hey, I tried this diet. This diet is fantastic. You know, you helped me lose this amount of weight. And you're like, oh God, you know. <laughs> but then again, that provides, that provides work for us. Um, we, we are the ones that pick up the scraps and then uh, help people right the, right the wrongs in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> Or bring some balance to your life. I want to say right the wrongs, just bring some balance to your life. Although factually, there are certain things that are probably not correct. 
Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the same issue lies with um, intermittent fasting too. Cause like my mind, you're naturally going to have a calorie deficit because there's no way you can eat the calories you need in that short period of time. <laughs> you you haven't met some of the some of the clients I've met. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I'm true. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, even if you have a four-hour window, people are going to be like, "I'm going to maximize this four-hour window." <laughs> you know, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. So, so intermittent fasting, we all know it's it's to keep that that window, and I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with it. To keep that window of eating down to a shortened period, so that you kind of um, reduce the amount that you eat. Um, but I actually look at intermittent fasting as a different tool. Um, whereas it's not, it's a lot of people look at it for weight loss. I actually look at it as a hunger acceptance tool. Okay. So, so intermittent fasting is great for those people who have trouble with dealing with hunger, like, like to a point where, where it is really detrimental to your life. Because look, like hunger is something that is part of actually part and parcel of life. And more importantly, if you're willingly going into a diet and trying to lose weight, that is actually controlled starvation, isn't it? Because we are very meticulous about the deficit we're going to create and what comes along with those things, a big side effect of that is hunger. Mm -hmm. um, so it's unrealistic to tell somebody that if you're going to cut weight, if you're going to lose weight, you're not going to be hungry. Because that, that is a, a natural mechanism of your body um, because your body's just trying to, to fill that gap. It's trying to fill that gap that, that currently the deficit is creating. So uh, what sort of hunger, how much hunger, what magnitude of the hunger is, is more important to understand. And then teaching people, um, it just kind of flows into the intuitive eating aspect of things where after we, we talk about weight regulation, weight management, using hunger as a tool is actually great. But if you put it right at the start and you tell people to use hunger, um, for those especially who do not know how to handle hunger, um, and every time, you know, when, you, when you're being brought up, hunger is evil, right? How many times have you gone home uh, from school and then your parents are like, oh, you know, have you eaten yet? That's like the most common greeting from parents. And I, think it's, and I think that also reflects something else. It seems to reflect more of the fact that most parents don't know how to connect with us beyond just the provision. You know, and most parents are just like, oh, have you eaten yet? Okay, I cooked something for you. Okay, have this, have that, you know. And then, um, it, it's, I mean, it's pleasant, it's sweet, and it's, it's very nice. Uh, but it also highlights these other aspects. Whether they're issues or not, you know, can be debated. But uh, for the most part, I think most people just don't have this conditioned response to hunger. Like, if I'm hungry, I got to do something about it. But sometimes, and this is why I teach my clients, like, if you objectively rate it, you'll be like, hey, yeah, I'm hungry but it's an acceptable amount. I'm on a diet now. Yeah, I can carry on. You know, I can do my, my, my other things and just kind of wait for, um, you know, my meal time or whenever my hunger starts to go beyond where I have deemed it acceptable. And then I'll go and grab something. You know, if it starts to go beyond, I'll go and grab something, just kind of keep it back down. So it's kind of like a little hunger thermostat. And I think intermittent fasting for a lot of people, um, especially those that kind of need to go cold turkey or want to have a, a fresh experience can actually be very useful. And then you prep them mentally, say like, okay, you're going to go hungry for a certain period of time and then you're just going to eat within this other period. And let's see what happens. But the main intention of this is for you to train your resistance against hunger, your acceptance of hunger. And, and then we quell that psychological aspect and then the physiological aspect becomes way more objective. 
That's really fascinating. I like that viewpoint or that kind of reframing and different viewpoints on, on intermittent fasting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think um, because I have a lot of people that like these are the two big ones, right? These are the two big ones that are being pop, very, uh, popularized now, um, which is intermittent fasting and uh, keto. And there's a lot of like quack science that goes on or rather cherry picked science that like some of the studies that people pick up um, are legit. Like the studies themselves are legit. But uh, when we don't talk about the opposing data, we don't talk about the entire meta-analysis of everything. Uh, even the choice of filter for the meta-analysis as well on the reviews, um, also not really discussed. It's, it's merely, okay, does this one fit my narrative? It does, I'm going to use it and then go. Uh, and I think anybody that's listening to this, you know, should always be very wary if um, people do not discuss the opposing viewpoint. Because nothing is ever truly black or white. Like it really isn't, you know. Um, there are certain laws of the universe, right? Like gravity is gravity is going to, <laughs> you know even gravity, <laughs> even gravity changes from planet to planet right but you also kind of know fundamentally the, the 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 equation and the formula to it and why does it change from planet to planet it's because the size difference the mass difference and stuff like that you know so so and understanding the way things work should be our goal and when we start to understand how things work at least at this just a purely physical level it allows us to manipulate you know, manipulate the game a bit more because kind of, you kind of know what are the rules you can you can bend and you can break, um, and you can kind of know what are the rules that you cannot run away from, uh, and it makes it that much easier. And, and it's fun, you know. I think it's more fun this way. You can really make it your own, and that's that's why it has to be because people oftentimes feel compelled to be like, hey, I need to follow this person, I need to follow that person, but unfortunately, if, if what happens if that person is no longer in your life or what happens if, you know, that person, like if it's a content creator, what if the person no longer puts out content? You know, what if that person no longer, like even a coach, right? Uh, what if that person no longer wants to do coaching or that person is gone? Then you're left on your own. Then if you don't know, you don't have the skills, you don't know what to do, then you're just back at square one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and as a coach, right? Like you're a coach too. I'm sure... Um, for us, our mindset is oftentimes, I don't want these people to be dependent upon me. Uh, I actually want to help them become independent. And the end goal of coaching is to be like, I really want you to stop paying me and to, to, to move on. <laughs> you know, you come to me for a period of time, maybe 16 weeks, 32 weeks, whatever it is, you know. Um, come to me for a period of time, maybe a year, and then after that, move on. Yeah. you know and and just just be your own person take this thing that i teach you and integrate into your life help you integrate into your life and after this mentorship is gone uh, you can go on and be an ambassador already for this you know go on and be an ambassador for this lifestyle and then inspire other people and maybe who knows you might even mentor somebody else so that's kind of like uh, you know using that that law of law of numbers multiplication up um and and just trying to you know influence some good into the world i guess yeah. Awesome. What? So we've talked about all these fad diets that exist, or at least kind of in passing in past have talked about this. So like, I'm guessing people who have done a lot of these fad diets have come into your world along with the ones who grew up in the like low fat, fat free, where all fat is bad life. Cause I know that's when I grew up. And so a lot of people are like stuck in these like ideas of what's good and what's bad. How do you start breaking down some of those 
ideas and improving that relationship of food with them. Now let's take a quick break to talk about Equip Foods. Equip Foods is a supplement line, but what I really love about them is their products are made with 100% real food products. There's no fillers, there's no chemicals, there's nothing artificial in it. So everything that you are putting into your body when you consume their products is good for you. And they don't just have the normal protein and pre-workout type supplements. They also have products for decreasing inflammation, for joint health, for circulation, for all sorts of things that just help you be an overall healthier person. So go check out everything Equip Foods has to offer at equip, E-Q-U-I-P, foods.com. And at checkout, if you use code F-I-X-15, that is F-I-X-1-5, you can save 15% on your order. You can also get a link to Equip Foods and all my other partners at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now let's get back to our conversation. From from these fundamental issues, I think the first step, especially with a coach and a training relationship, um, it's always understanding, understanding what your training is like and why they understand, or, or sorry, or why they why they think the way they do or why they believe so strongly in the way they do. So, um, I mean, just from a tactical standpoint as a coach, I, I just try to find the point at which I can agree with them first so I can agree with them and I can help them in a way get some confidence in validating like certain aspects so then I can reinforce the parts that are correct Um, and then I can slowly then after that we have that connection then I can slowly start to educate because then we start to have a debate we actually start to have a discussion on the thing because a lot of times when people stand behind a, a, a diet or they get so entrenched into a diet it becomes almost dogmatic and in a way, it becomes very sensitive. Uh, for some reason, nowadays, diet seems to be as sensitive as religion or, or even gender or whatever it is, right? Like, it becomes almost a pol- political thing. It becomes a political thing. But it's like, look, this is just science. And the science is the science. Science doesn't really care what your opinion is. It just happens the way it happens. Um, but most, not everybody thinks like that because we are humans. We have emotions. We are attached to certain things. So helping them understand which facets of what they believe is correct uh, seems to be the best starting point. And I have the most success with that, with doing that. Because after, after we agree, we become on the same team. And then when we become on the same team, it's much easier for us to look at the thing as objectively as possible. Because now you know, I have my arm around your shoulder and we're just both looking at the thing and we're like, hey, you know, but, but how about this part? About How about this other part? You know, it doesn't seem to make so much sense. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, actually you have a point. And, and that's a door that's open for me to, to educate from. So I'm not trying to push... In, in no way am I trying to push the science because I know my science. I know the science at least to, a, to an extent that I do know it, right? Until something else gets disproven, whatever it is. But I'm, I'm, I'm clear on my science. My, my goal is not so much to show them how clear I am on my science, but to help them understand where they might not be correct and then help them in their journey to understanding the science, to, to bring them back up to at least the, the same knowledge level close to, yeah? So it's never, it's never really about like proving to them how much I know because they're already here with me. They're already trying to train with me. So why do I need to prove, why do I need to prove how much I know, right? Um, it's about helping them understand 
beyond what they understand and then correcting those things. Uh, yeah, so so breaking down those walls, uh, this is the, this seems to be the best best way to do it. Um, do it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do it together. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you go about, like, I know for me, I've worked with a number of people that when I tell them, like, you're under fueling, we need to start getting more calories in you. I get the deer in the headlights. What are you talking about? I'm going to get fat if I do that. How do you start breaking down those barriers and those walls and those like mindsets to get them to start eating more? Um, I, I think for this, for this case, we are talking about somebody that has been chronically under eating. Mm-hmm. And what, what issues do they present then uh, for somebody that's chronically under eating? I'm thinking the ones who just like are plateaued, are not losing weight, and they've like even cut calories even more, just they're wanting to lose weight. Um, and then also are noticing they're feeling like very lethargic with their workouts too. Okay. Okay. And, and, and these people are already, so I'm assuming you're talking about those that are extremely active. The, because I have, I have people that are like extremely active. They've been training with weights. They, they do so much activity, um, but they also st- like kind of starve themselves. They, they're really barely eating. Um, and they, they have reached that point, as you mentioned, where kind of the weight has plateaued. It's not going down any further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. For somebody like this, um, I, w- I definitely will assess. First, I always get them to just track. I tell them, just continue doing whatever you're doing first, at least for your first week. But I need you to do a few things for me so I can get a clearer picture, which is really track everything that you're eating. Okay, send me pictures, you know, fill out my fitness pal, whatever tracking method we choose to use. Uh, just track it out for me. And then um, we also try to take into account what their entire activity level is like. And then match match those together and see whether we really have uh, an issue with, you know, really hitting a plateau. Because more often than not, um, people tend to underestimate, um, you know, how many calories they they've eaten, and and overestimate just how much activity they have done. Uh, so once I can ascertain between these uh, data points whether or not you know which one is a higher probability then uh, we can decide what to do. Because if it's a case of them actually underestimating how much they're eating, then, you know, it's, it's kind of, okay, that's fine, right? It's not really under fueling. You're just, you know, you're, you're just kind of at a maintenance level. Because if the person is not losing weight, they are at maintenance, right? If they're not losing weight and, okay, maybe not just not losing weight, but if they're not losing weight and their measurements are not changing, for example, their waist is not going down, um, these two, right? If they don't, if they don't move in the same direction, then chances are this person is at maintenance. So if they are maintenance, it just means that whatever they are having at this point is enough for their body, or their body has adapted to it at this point. So that's the first step: is helping them understand that this is what is happening or what's going on. Because for most people, they, they come to you and they'll be like, "Hey, look, I'm exercising, I'm doing all this activity, I'm eating this this minuscule amount of food." you know, and I'm not losing weight, you, but, but I've been told that this is what I should do. So it's helping them understand. And, and, the, and, the, and the funny thing also is um, um, as, as a coach, right? That's what we are trying to understand too. I'm trying to understand exactly where you're at because self-reported is all, never reliable, right? In fact, in, when, we reach, when, when we read all those research studies, we're always like, okay, all these data is self-reported. So we kind of have to discount it a little bit. Um, but yeah, but, but that being said, 
So that's like maybe 60, 70% of the people, but there's that like 20, 30 or 40% of people who are legitimately like their metabolism has adapted, you know, really adapted to be that efficient. And usually what I tell them to do, and funny enough, is I tell them to actually drop their, their um, intensity levels in terms of the, the amount of cardio that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get them dropped out of their cardio because now they're too efficient. So we actually need to make their cardio system a little less efficient. Um, and then, and then you just kind of cut that out first. Um, and then we, we leave the food as is for the moment. So we try to remove things piece by piece. And we try to remove things piece by piece um, because if they are at that level and they're at maintenance, okay, any, any removal or any adjustment to the output is going to create, it's going to create a surplus already. As opposed to somebody who is like in a in a deficit and they're actually kind of losing a lot of weight already, and their metabolism is slow, you know, starting to slow down to adapt to that, right? Um, we can actually push, calculate the gap, and just kind of like re-add that back to get back to maintenance. But if somebody's already at maintenance, we need to be a bit more uh, stepwise with it. So usually, what I do is I get them to remove uh, the cardio first or reduce the cardio to a to a certain level, and then. Um, I also get them to add, I might get, if, they, if they're not willing to completely remove the cardio, I might add, get them to add back a little bit of food as well. You know, just kind of to balance it out. So mm-hmm. this is one of those instances where I will actually try to balance out cardio with food, although most of the time we, we never ever do that. Um, but again, special circumstance. So we might do that. Just basically what we're trying to do is just trying to get that, coax that metabolism back up. Because metabolism, and I think there's this big, uh, you know, discussion going around about like, you know, can you have a damaged metabolism? Um, and then there's a, another flaw discussion from that, which is like, is adrenal fatigue a thing? Uh, which apparently, I mean, adrenal fatigue isn't really a thing in terms of the medical literature. It's not really a thing. Um, and a lot of times it's just to do with how the body has adapted to survive in the conditions you have given it. And the, and the cool thing is because the body can adapt to those conditions, uh, it can also readapt back up. But you just have to uh, create the environment and coax it back up slowly. You can't just jump straight in, right? Because if you jump straight in and you go all in, um, you're going to have all these other things that are going to come in, you know. Um, again, that being said, <laughs> that being said, I think um, there was this there was this YouTuber. Uh, what's her name? Stephanie Buttermore. So she did. She 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 chronicled her journey where because she, she was chronically under eating um, to maintain a super lean physique for a very long period of time. And so she was always like really, really hungry. And then she did this uh, journey where she chronicled it and um, she just went all in. I think she was called her all in journey or something. So she ate like whatever and, and, and her appetite was like ravenous. So her boyfriend is this uh, bodybuilder, natural bodybuilder guy, really cool guy, Jeff Nippert. Um, and he, he, he was saying, you know, like she's eating like two times as much as he is and all that you know, in, in this in this phase. And what she did was she just went all in, right? So she kind of took a cold turkey approach to reversal and just went all in. Um, and I think for a lot of people that, like for some people, if they have that to follow, like a documentation to follow and somebody else that's also on that journey, it might be possible because support and feeling like you're not alone in this journey is, is really critical to helping you um, learn the new thing and get better at it, especially when it's so scary. The, the idea of doing something completely opposite to what you used to be doing, you know, it's just it's just so scary. And for for all these people, like 
if you want to try that, what she did, she did it quite successfully. So she actually added up. I mean, she added like um, a lot of weight. I don't know, like 20, 30 pounds, whatever it was. Um, and then after that, you know, she was like, oh no, of, of course, notably, uh, noticeably fatter and stuff. Um, but she was happier. She was, you know, she was glowing. She was radiant. Um, you're starting to feel good. And after about a month of that, um, this is, you know, where she was like, okay, I'm actually starting to feel sick of eating all this food. And, I, and, and my hunger, my hunger is no longer in overdrive. It's actually coming back down. So the body was starting to regulate that. You know, starting to regulate that for her. And then she started slowly, you know, getting back to normal eating patterns and then resuming those healthier eating habits. I can't remember. Um, I, and, and it's probably, I mean, for those listeners that are listening, it's probably better to just go to her channel and watch her videos on it. Um, but I can't remember if she was doing like weight training or so when she was doing it, uh, whether she was still training or she just like stopped everything. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's, another, that's another approach that could be done. It's like a cold turkey one, but I feel it's not, it's not as, as uh, likely to succeed if you don't have the proper support system, even if you have a good coach, because even as a coach, I'm only one person. And, and in, my, in my coaching group, I try to create a coaching community and a group but um, um, sometimes I feel that people, especially when they're embarking on this journey, they, they feel scared, right? They feel scared to reach out. They feel scared to, to, to put themselves out there and be, be vulnerable about it, um, which is usually what got them in, into that hole in the first place, right? So yeah, there, there's so many ways to do it. My preferred way is to help a person understand what's going on first. Like number one, before they can do any sort of change, they, have, they must know what's going on. There's some, there some of them that are so desperate for change, they will do anything that you ask them to, to do. And we also have to be very wary of that because uh, people like that are still just looking for that quick fix, and that quick answer. And they, they don't want to know what's going on with them. So we have to write that. But this one's a bit more difficult because we have to write that balance between like, I'm trying to educate you, but at the same time also uh, giving you enough actionable stuff that you can do it. I think you made a really good point that a lot of people probably don't understand when it comes to the body and how it works. And that is that the metabolism does adapt, that if we are in a fueling, that it does slow down, that we do, that it changes things. Um, like, and I've seen, I won't say studies necessarily, but um, things as far as like people not realizing it, but when they're under fueling, it's like they aren't as fidgety because their body just doesn't want to move like it literally wants to conserve as much energy as it can and so it's pretty fascinating when you really start looking into like what truly happens to the body that like you don't even realize yeah yeah i, I think it's okay and, and also for your listeners i think it would it would be quite important to understand the the contributors to the equation right like like you know when we talk about calories in calories out Calories in is so simple. It's literally what you put in your mouth and you ingest. <laughs> but the calories, but it, and so it's and, and that's why it's so much easier. If you want to lose weight, it's so much easier to work from that angle, because any you know proportional unit that you take away from the input side is going to have a big effect to the gap to the deficit you're trying to create. But on the the calories outside, um, you know, a, like about sixty to seventy percent, okay, is your BMR. That, that's it 60 to 70 percent is your bmr that's like and your bmr is like your body's engine how much does it burn how much does it take to 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 fuel this body and the problem with a lot of people and because you're you're an obstacle course uh, uh coach right and a lot of people that are in this endurance type you know a uh, very high aerobic kind of uh 
uh, capacity, uh, you have a you know an engine that is too efficient. It's way too efficient. And the problem with an efficient engine, it sounds like a great thing, but the problem with an efficient engine is that you don't need as much fuel to go the distance as opposed to somebody that has a less efficient engine. If I were to use like a car metaphor, you're like a, you know, like a really good Toyota Prius hybrid, you know, that can take a little fuel and then go super long distance. You can't go like super, maybe hard, super fast, but you can go a long distance. As opposed to like, you want to be like a Ferrari or like an F1 car, you know, you just one lap around and you burn like $80 million. I mean, I'm just exaggerating. I don't know how much fuel it is, but you know, you just burn a shit ton of fuel just to, just to get the body going. And that's what we want, actually. That's what we, we all want, you know. Um, <laughs> so that, that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't, don't seem to realize. So the BMR is already there. So even if you're an athlete or you're an endurance athlete, whatever it is, you still need to make sure that your body composition is quite favorable, right? You have to work on those aspects where, you know, you still need to build a bit of muscle. Of course, you know, kept within your weight category or to optimize your performance, but you still need a bit, a bit of muscle, um, you still need to make sure this BMR part, you know, can be expanded if weight loss is your goal and calorie output is your goal. Then when it comes down to the exercise portion, you're talking maybe like all activity because activity itself is broken into the, as you mentioned, you know, non, non-exercise related, fidgeting around, walking to and fro, you know, to the, to the, to the, the fridge, whatever it is. <laughs> um, and then you have the actual ex- intended intentional activity, which is exercise. And these things only form like what, 20%. I think in top level athletes, it's maybe like 22, 25% um, combined, all combined. Uh, for the average person that's just training, and when, when you say athletes, you're talking like Michael Phelps, you know, somebody that trains in a pool eight hours a day or top level gymnasts and whatever. All these athletes, they, that's their job, right? To move and to exercise and to be intentional about the exercise. So for them, it's like, yeah, sure. You know, that level requires a certain amount of fueling. But for the average person, if you're talking like, you know, you want to clock, I don't even like 100 kilometers a week on the bike um, and another like 50 kilometers of running. It sounds crazy by our normal average standards, but by athlete standards, it's probably not very, very intense. It, it's just like there, like that's the norm. And then if you go a bit more, that's that's probably where you start to go into athlete that, uh, territory. So these levels, while they can feel on a percept- perceptive level to be very, very, very difficult, especially from an average person's point of view, um, physically, it's actually not as intense as we think. And oftentimes people end up over consuming to that regard so it really comes down to just tracking and and letting your you know watching how your body changes and then adjusting the correct variables so if you're trying to lose weight and you're picking up like obstacle course racing and stuff like this because you want to lose weight i can tell you and i'm pretty sure brian was going to tell you it's not the most efficient way to do so um yeah so you should, and it's kind of like for the wrong purpose like you you take up obstacle course racing because you want to push your limits right like you want to you want to test yourself. You want to see how far you can push yourself. And like, that's what the obstacle course race represents. It's literally a tangible representation of all these obstacles that you might have in your life. And then you, you physically say, I overcome this, I overcome that. And then you can translate that into the rest of your life and be like, yeah, remember that one time I tried to, to go over this wall and that sucked. Okay, if I can do that, I can do this thing. You know, that's, that's kind of what it is. That's the main reason why you pick it up, right? Oh, absolutely. There's so many, like, Obstacles there, obstacles in life. There's so many metaphors there for sure. Yeah, man, it's 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 uh it's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, I've I've only like I told you right. I only took part in one. 
Uh, this was in Canada. Doing doing tough a tough mother spin-off in the in the Canadian snow is not not the most fun thing. Um, I'm surprised I didn't I didn't get like hypothermia or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Twain's kind of start finishing it up. Anything that we haven't talked about yet today that you feel would be really important to bring up? Um, I think the the important thing um, is to understand and just un- just educate yourself and understand the fundamentals, okay. Um, and be very, very wary of people who, who only present one side of the argument. Uh, I think if, if, there's, if there's anything that would be the most useful to know, it would be that. If somebody only presents one side of the argument, uh, you have to always ask, okay, how about the other side? When are the situations when the other side might be you know, possible? Or can you at least show me when you know, there are situations, the other, like how the other side, um, it's absolutely not possible um, because in this day and age, I'm sure everybody feels it as well. Like everybody wants to sell something. You know, almost every marketing pitch on the net, it's, it's aimed at triggering your emotions to sell you something. So have, you have to be wary of that. There is really no quick fix. There really is no quick fix. A lot of these things are about your journey. And it is a journey. It's going to be a journey for the rest of your life until the day you die. It's going to be a journey. You know, you just have to enjoy it. Right, so find the one and the way you can enjoy the journey. Find a coach or find a person, um, you know, create a support system that allows you to be supported, okay? Create a support system that allows you to be supported um, in the way that, that, you know, allows you to keep pushing forward. So find a coach or find a person that you really gel with, that you trust, and then, you know, go from there. Beautiful. Twain, if someone wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? Oh, they can actually find me on Facebook. Um, I, I'm not sure you can put my profile in the in the. We'll put everything in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. So, so I, I, I primarily, I primarily um, operate on Facebook. I have uh, my website. My website is kind of like still work in progress. Um, so that's my website as well. It's www.trainwithtwain.com. Um, and yeah, I do, I do consultation calls, uh, you know, free complimentary consultation calls. Uh, it's kind of just to see whether people are a good fit for the program. Um, if they are not, so what happens if, if I don't find that they're at the correct phase of their life to be in the program? Because it can be quite costly. Um, what happens is I will redirect people over to my Facebook group. So my Facebook group, um, I, I do a lot of these uh, training videos. I do a lot of these like live videos and stuff um, that you know, helps a lot of them just kind of get supported along the way. Because at the beginning stages, it's really quite simple. You just need to have the constant support to keep going. Uh, and yeah, so so then after a while, you know, if people want to reach out, people want to work together and take it to another level, then yeah, by all means. But yeah, reach out to me at my website and my Facebook and uh, I'd be more than happy to connect and talk. Awesome. Is your Facebook just your name or is it? Yes, Twain.to. <laughs> Awesome. Makes it simple. Easy to find. So easy to find. <laughs> awesome. Well, Twain, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. No worries, man. Uh, thanks, Brian, for having me on. And I was so happy. I was so happy that when you reached out because uh, Sarah is a good, good friend. Um, you know, and 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 I've kind of seen how how she how she grew, how she's uh, developed over the years. So it's it's really nice to to connect. Awesome. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And before I close out, I have two questions for you. 
Do you feel like you're in a plateau with your progress? Or do you feel like you're stuck in an injury cycle? Both of these issues are very common and both of them can be fixed very easily. Most often, both of these issues come down to how you're training or more importantly, what's missing in your training. By figuring out what's missing and adding that in, your training performance will improve, your racing performance will improve, and your injury cycle will break. I invite you to get on a free 30-minute consultation call with me to discuss what's going on with you, your life, your training, so we can really figure out what needs to be done to improve that. So head over to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash OCR doc to book a free call with me. Thank you again for listening today. I greatly appreciate it and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.